Good evening, folks. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, Adam Keller. This is the Valley Labor Report, and this is the second in our series of interviews with people involved in IWW campaigns. We are joined by Andrew and Tamara from uh, the CapTel campaign in Wisconsin. CapTel is a call center. They do transcription services for the hearing impaired, and uh, that has been a campaign of the IWW in that location for uh, and, and across the country for a very long time now. So, uh, And I've heard lots of good things about it, so uh, we are really excited to have the opportunity to talk to y'all uh, this afternoon. Thanks, Andrew and Tamara, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, before we jump into the campaign uh can y'all introduce yourselves i guess tomorrow we can start with you like how did you come to the the kind of work that you're involved in now at captel by career i am a cab driver but due to uber and lyft services as well as some of the like logistic care offering free medical rides um the taxi business really tanked Hmm. and so i just started looking for like basically have tongue will scrub toilets any job that would happen because i needed an income and uh fell into this uh probably by providence um i do believe that part of my purpose is you know if not my whole my whole justification for living is organizing so Mm. i think i was just supposed to be here you know Right, right. And Andrew, you're in you've been an external organizer for the campaign. How did you come into, you know, wanting to do organizing work, you know, like these are uh you know, these are people that you don't even work with necessarily, right? So wh- how is it that you came to be interested in in like their well-being and and helping them to organize? Yeah, so basically I had worked at Captel basically just out of college because I needed a job and my degree isn't particularly relevant to what I really wanted to do. I got a degree in political science and I absolutely don't want to go into politics. Right. Uh, so I just kind of took a job because Capital employs a lot of people, like several hundred people just in Milwaukee. And so it was kind of like the place where I knew a lot of people who work there decided to get a job there. And then, Basically, after a couple of years there, I was like, well, if I'm still here, I might as well organize a union. And so even though after I left, it's kind of one of those things where I can support people still organizing, even though I'm no longer at that job. So with the IWW, you know, we organize the worker primarily and not just the workplace. So even though I'm no longer there, I'm still a member of the union and I can still lend my support doing basic administrative type stuff at this point because I care about all those people and that's what it's about for me. Yeah, that is why I, I mentioned before we started the interview that I'm a dual carter and that's why I wanted the, the IWW was so um, intriguing and appealing to me is is because, uh, you know, most unions, you can't you can't be a member and really you know, there's some amount of outside support that is welcome more to to a greater or less degree in different unions and in different campaigns. But uh, 
certainly you don't have the ability to be hands-on and really deeply involved in a campaign in any other union besides the IWW unless you actually work there or your staff for the union. And so, you know, mm-hmm. as a member of AFGE, I can't go into my local bar and say, hey, you know, do you want to join my union or, you know, <laughs> uh, which is uh, which is a bummer. I think, uh, you know, if the American Federation of Government Employees wanted to go organize bars, that would be pretty interesting. But uh, but so the idea, you know, I wanted to be able to to help these folks organize because I worked in the service industry for, uh, you know, for three years. And it was the you know, it was the most brutal job experience that I've had and worked so much harder than I do now in the government. And I, I made a lot less and I had a lot less perks. And so, you know, I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for folks like that and the ability to help them uh, help themselves really appealed to me. And, and so it, it sounds like, Andrew, you have, uh, you know, the, the IWW, you know, m- means a pretty similar thing to you as it does to me. So, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, l- let's talk, ab- I guess, help us understand what happens in the call center. I said in the opening that, you know, it is a transcription service. It's not necessarily like customer service. You know, you're not you're not uh, calling me and asking about my car's extended warranty, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so maybe that'll that'll make some folks a, a little bit more sympathetic to you. But you know, help us understand uh, the day to day. Like you, okay, you clock in. Wh- what is it that you do? Um, basically calls just chime in and I may in fact be facilitating the robocaller that's trying to sell you uh, an extended warranty on your car because I essentially repeat everything that the caller says and then the software puts it into text. Uh, mm. They do now have uh, an upgraded software uh where it's sort of auto-generated, but it's still full of mistakes. So then I have to go through and read and and correct all of those. I see, I see. And what kind of what kind of so is it like the for one company, or are you sort of a clearinghouse for different uh, uh, for for all sorts of of different companies that that need customer service? Um, assistance in their customer service lines for like uh hearing impaired people or is it just for one company it's it's a special phone that customers will get so the captel is its own phone that has a screen where let's say you can't hear very well or even a lot of cases if you're a lawyer someone who wants a transcription record of a conversation Uh, This special phone allows you to turn the captions on. And once you turn the captions on, that call goes to someone like Tamara or another captioning assistant to then caption. Oh, okay. So if I had a CapTel, I guess that stands for Caption Telephone. Is that what it Okay, I see, I see. So if I had a CapTel, if I was hearing impaired and I wanted to call, is is it like... It's a service that I, as the customer, as a hearing impaired person, get that helps me on my call. So if I wanted to call Adam, mm-hmm. let's say, and I'm, it, you would even be potentially transcribing like personal calls. Oh, all the time. Okay. All the time. I see. I see. Okay, that I, I'm I'm understanding more about about what's happening there. I I I gotcha. Um, it's pretty unique. 
Yeah, that I well, you know, I had no idea uh, what Captel stood for, um, but <laughs> I, so so. But now now it makes a lot more sense, um, and that's that's a pretty that is a pretty unique service, uh, and I'm sure that that helps a lot of people. That uh, you know that must feel good knowing that you know you're able to actually you know meaningfully make people's lives better, uh, e- even even through the drudgery of your work. It absolutely does. And that's not to say that, you know, when I'm proselytizing for our savior, Lord and savior, Donald Trump by proxy, or repeating some of the most hateful, horrific, toxic things in the world, or announcing that your best friend Betty just died, that it Mm -hmm. doesn't really, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, wear wear on a person's morale. But it definitely... Yeah, it's it's a priceless service for the people that genuinely need it. I I can't I can't begrudge uh the the service that we provide and mm-hmm. and the, the the invention that that is used that it's it's pretty cool that way. I I'm sure that it would help me a lot if I if I were to be hearing impaired. Um uh, you know, it opens up uh opens up a whole new lane of uh of communication for for those types of folks. So that that's really cool. Um that aside though, you know, the the potential fulfillment and meaning that that maybe you get from that. Obviously, unions don't tend to, although, you know, I'm sure that all of us would agree that they should, but they don't tend to um, appear from great working environments. You know, people who, <laughs> people who, <laughs> you know, I think everybody should join a union. And even if you love your boss and you got good wages, you should still have a union and you should agitate for one and organize for one at work. But that's not generally how it happens. Generally, there are some complaints that people have that they want to make. They want to make their workplace better for whatever reason. So what was the, like, what was the genesis for the campaign at Captel? Uh, do you want to take this, Andrew? No, you can take it. Okay. Uh, basically, I would say the catalyst, uh, first of all, there had been a prior campaign in Madison that did get everybody uh, lost wages that were due to a time clock defect or something of that nature. Um, but anyways, I think it was summer of 2014, I want to say, Uh Captel had won a lawsuit with the Federal Communications Commission so that instead of having to activate the captions, uh, the captions were simply automatically activated, whether or not uh, the client needed the phone for the Mm -hmm. caption. Like, say, uh, your husband is hearing impaired, but you're not. Uh, unless you actively now, it used to have to be that you had to turn the captions on. Now you have to actively turn the captions off. Otherwise Mm. you have captions. Um, And that exponentiated our workload to where we would maybe get uh, 15, 20, 30 seconds in between short calls up to maybe 10 minutes after a 10 minute call before another call came in to where there was hardly any time of any day when there wasn't at least double digit calls in queue. So you would just automatically nonstop chime, Mm. talk, listen. It was a total grind. Um, 
so the the workload at least at least for everyone tripled and uh the wages stayed the same yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah of course of course they did i i saw this which this is not terribly related but the the thing that you said about doing triple the work and, and the wages staying the same there was a there was a, a post that went viral uh this this last week where a, there was a sign outside of a restaurant that like listed the wage that they would offer and the effort that you had to give and at like 12 <laughs> 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 like like at $12 an hour you had to uh you had to like do as much work as the owner and at $15 an hour you had to do more like twice as much work as the owner or something and I'm like uh, <laughs> screw that yeah I'm not doing yeah. you know work as hard as the owner my ass for $15 an hour you can yeah I will spit on you for $15 well, there's a moment of clarity there though uh, I think there's some admission of right. <laughs> just how little work they may be doing yeah. uh, you know something interesting that you said though is about how there was already a previous campaign and some previous success, and I think that's one of the most common themes in, in this subject is organizing begets more organizing. If you see that organizing is getting the goods, okay, well, now you're, you're more interested in doing it in the future, and it may get other people involved. And, of course, combined with what you've said in terms of increased workload for same wages, that I mean, hell, that's a theme across our economy, unfortunately. Yeah, and... It's also kind of at least funny to me that it's pretty coincidental that someone like me, Tamara, would end up at CapTel and joining the IWW in Milwaukee after there's a previous campaign in Madison. And then we eventually found out that there were IWW members in Orlando who also work for CapTel just by total coincidence. Hmm. And so the kind of joke I make is that the uh, Captel at this point probably thinks that like our union just really hates this company for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) When honestly, total coincidence that there just happen to be IWWs working at Captel in all of these different locations. Right. That is that. That's really awesome, though. And it, what was the? You know, it, it sounds like y'all were more stationed in Milwaukee. Can you tell? What can you tell us about the Madison campaign that kind of piqued your interest? Uh, I think Jamar pretty much covered it. Where uh, they they had won back pay I see. for a bunch of people, right? And right. I was well, like, here's here's already one under the belt for the union. Might as well go with this union. Mm-hmm. You know record of success is the way i see it yeah and so the and and the, so the thing at y'all's workplace in milwaukee was the increased workload and uh you know doing triple the amount of work and no raises why did, did they ever explain like why they didn't bring on more people to you know uh spread the workload out uh Capital Milwaukee itself has such a high turnover rate because I would say probably 40% of the people that work there do tend to be in college or fresh out of college. Hmm. Um, So they'd more or less just saturated the available 
employee pool. And so there's only so many people uh, that can take a, a low wage um, uh, entry level kind of position can actually afford to do that. Uh <laughs> You know, you have to have a roommate, you have to have a spouse, you have to have a second job. Uh, and it just doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't fit in with uh, our 21st century lifestyle. Right, right. So the what are some of these, the the first introductions of, or, you know, how do, how do the conversations start? You know, y'all, y'all get... Uh, you know, th- there's some amount of agitation. You've seen the uh, you've seen the victories that the IWW has had in Madison. Uh, how is it that uh, that that y'all become mi- members uh, there in Milwaukee? And walk us through some of the uh, you know some of the time that you've spent there, and some of the organizing conversations and and stores and campaigns. And you know, I don't. That's a lot to. But anyway, that's a, that's a good, uh, you know, what, you know, uh, jump off from that however you want, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with me, cause I had been familiar with the IWW, uh, but I didn't join the IWW until like two years into working at Capital, where it's like, okay, I really want a union. I knew some of the IWW people from other like activisty organizing type things around the city and kind of hit them up. I was like, Hey, sign me up. I'm on, I'm on a union. Mm. And okay. <laughs> and kind of from there, you know, I've definitely made a lot of organizing mistakes in the first run before I actually like went to a training. Um, but definitely like, I, I think like one being properly trained, how to organize a union definitely ramped things up quite a bit. And it was a lot of just like trying to talk to whoever I could because there's several hundred people who are working there, like I mentioned. So it's like uh, the ones I do know, I'm just going to try to try to basically talk to anyone who's like face I recognize. Right. Right. Tamara, what about you? Uh, Well, Andrew baked some cookies that he shared with me. Um, Food always helps in organizing. Absolutely. Yeah, I baked your cookies. (laughs) Then uh, we had a brutal winter that year. I offered him a ride home. And then, I don't know, about a week later, he's like, uh, hey, lady, you want to join my union? (laughs) And I was just all, hell yeah, because this place sucks. (laughs) That's awesome. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's a that that's a really uh yeah, that's a really easy organizing conversation, I guess. <laughs> Do you want to join my union? <laughs> Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always just, that easy. Yeah, right, right. Just right. keep bringing the cookies. Just yeah. keep bringing the cookies. Uh that yeah, that's one of the earliest things I learned is always always feed people. If you're trying to have a meeting, if you're trying to have a one-on-one, yeah. you better have some snacks or or some some meal, something you can provide so yeah. folks uh don't leave with an empty belly. Yeah, and, that's been a lot oh, yeah. that's been a lot more difficult doing Zoom meetings. Yeah, uh, really. Getting food to them. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a lot easier to nod your head up and down than to shake your head left to right mm. when your mouth is full of tasty crumbs. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, something you mentioned, uh, Andrew, that I, I think is also important about the IWW is the way in which it kind of serves as a bridge between, you know, labor organizing and the labor movement with just the activism scene more broadly and, and community organizing. You know, that's something I've I've definitely uh, observed about the IWW uh, and its contemporary, you know, formation, I guess you could say, is because there are a lot of, like, the lefty-type people, the folks that you see at city council meetings or at, you know, community organizing events that are also yeah. plugged in this way. And I think that's one of the, the things that interests me about the IWW is the way in which it can kind of bridge those communities because oftentimes you know we're all operating in our own silos and not really you know having those relationships and kind of working together and checking in with each other see how we can support each other uh you know you have your criminal justice folks you have your climate change folks and you know then your Mm -hmm. union folks and we're all kind of like doing our different things so Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think i just think that was a an interesting uh, point that you brought up that is is very relevant relevant to the IWW and the model they have. Yeah. So what was uh, what was one of the first uh, campaigns that that y'all worked together on at the uh, um, at the Milwaukee Capitol? I would say just like actually building the committee because mm-hmm. technically the. The union's first victory in Milwaukee didn't happen until like right after I had left. Mm. So, like to to be totally honest, like I helped build the committee, but the the first victory, um, like so, tomorrow can talk about that. Okay, well, yeah, talk about building the committee and like how you were able to, because uh, I mean that's a, that's a uh, you know something like you mentioned the how how much it helps just to know how to form a union how to form your committee and how to you know talk to us about actually the formation of the committee at captel yeah so it was a lot of uh basically just trying to make time for everyone and doing whatever i could to meet people where they're at you know whether that's biking or busing all the way across town for a weird like half hour to an hour this person is available at this location just is really about just trying to accommodate other people so that they know you actually do legitimately care about this and you will go out of your way for people. And so I think like that earns a lot of trust and a lot of respect among your coworkers where, no, this isn't just some harebrained scheme that I'm mad at the boss, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm showing people that this is a serious thing I'm committed to and I will make it a point to, like, meet you and accommodate however is needed. Because uh, really, it's just a, it's about trust and your relationships with your coworkers. Right, right. And what was that first victory, Andrew? Uh, I believe that was a pay increase, right, Tamara? Uh, yeah, it was actually a pretty significant pay increase, and it was oh, less than two weeks after Andrew left, which really, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that bummed me out. I, it was hard not to feel, like, guilty about that. Uh, 
But um, we had organized a slowdown because every mm-hmm. time a call gets 30 seconds behind, it chimes at the supervisor's desk. Mm-hmm. And we got dozens. I think it was what, with like 50, between 50 and 60 people, wasn't it, Andrew, that had agreed to slow down? Uh, uh, I don't think it was that many. I think it was probably closer to 40. Okay. And but how many still, people work a, a shift at a time? Uh, two to 300. That's a pretty so, good bit doing a, uh, you know, yeah. Do, and so, the, and that was, that was in protest of the, you know, the lack of a increase in, in pay, right? Yeah. Or I think specifically like the slowdown was to like basically try to use our muscle because HR was just ignoring us, mm. right? Like, I was just trying to like deny that we existed. No surprise there. So yeah, the the slowdown was just like, okay, here's something you can't ignore. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to get a bunch of people to coordinate mm-hmm. uh, industrial slowdown. Yeah. It, well, and that's so. So then that was just basically almost to to get their attention, not not even necessarily with a with a. A specific demand you know in hand and that's interesting because last week we talked to uh people involved in the dandelion cafe campaign in florida and uh you know i'm not sure how familiar y'all are with that but uh they closed the whole ass restaurant down because they asked for a meeting because they asked for a meeting uh that that was their only demand and they shut it down. They said temporarily, and they just never reopened. And they eventually announced that they were permanently closing, ostensibly because of COVID. But it was literally the next day after they gave them the letter saying, "You know, we're a union. We want to have a meeting about you know, uh, you know about our wages and working conditions." And and you know, it wasn't like they made clear to us when they talked to us that it was just a you know because they always kind of bandied about like oh we're a small family owned business and they were like look if they genuinely don't have the money to pay us then we would have been Mm -hmm. like we would have like we would have been like okay but we wanted to Mm -hmm. see the books and that you know so just a meeting and they closed the the whole thing down and so that is you know the hr pretending you don't exist not wanting to talk to you that seems like a pretty common uh you know uh, a pretty common thing so you know tomorrow how did you actually convince people to do a slowdown on the job because you know uh, there's obviously a lot of fear um, in the workforce today about retaliation, about, um, you know, if I'm not good at my job or if I don't, if I specifically decide not to be good on my job, then I can be fired or I can be disciplined, or especially if I walk off the job on strike or something like that. You know, it's a, it's a very scary thing to engage in these, uh, you know, sort of industrial actions like y'all did. How was it that they, that, that the workers there decided that, um, you know, this is something that we feel strongly enough about that we're willing to take this kind of action? Well, I think a, a good part of it is because Captel themselves were just so incredibly desperate uh, to to have their demands met. 
they couldn't afford to retaliate against us. And morale had tanked so badly because everybody was incredibly overworked and seriously underpaid um, that the threat of retaliation was like, what are they possibly going to do? They can't, they can't discipline all of this. They can't mm. prove this. They, the, they're literally, there was nothing that they could have honestly done uh, just in between our sheer numbers and the relative harmless of, a, of, of that particular slowdown um I mean we're talking about 30 seconds. Mm. We're talking about making a bell ring at at the supervisor's desk. It mm. wasn't I mean our call out uh in March of 2019 was way gutsier. Mm. Um so this was pretty low risk. Right. I see. And so what were some of the next steps and and some of the timeline after that? Like what what was the fallout? Uh, within two weeks, everybody got a dollar an hour permanent raise, and we also got a one dollar an hour busy season bonus that went from uh, backdated to November 1st through January 31st. So everybody got a dollar an hour extra for every hour worked. Wow. That, I mean, that's not that's uh, legit. Yeah, that that's definitely real. And how did your how did the union and hr because i'm i'm positive without having been there and without knowing much about this campaign i would be willing to bet money that there was like a pr war going on between the union and hr about why and how this came about right i'm uh, uh you can correct correct me if i'm wrong yeah but correct me if i'm wrong but i'm i'm sure that hr didn't come out and say we did this because of you know uh workers d- demanding us to no. do that the union how did they not. frame it no, how- no. yeah <laughs> okay uh literally within a few hours after they had uh announced this i gotta get away from my barking dog sorry no literally worries. within a few hours after they had announced this uh the the union uh actually john fleissner andrew and myself we sat down at Andrew's kitchen table and we tapped out some PR victory stuff, which was totally legitimate. Mm-hmm. And we threw it on Facebook, social media, etc. cetera. Uh, we claimed our victory. And then uh, human resources turned around and just did everything they could to sabotage us. No, we did this out of the goodness of our own heart, out of mm. accountability, out of generosity, out of the... Christmas spirit. Sure, Excuse sure. me, Scrooge. Uh, we were supposed to have that uh, dollar an hour busy season bonus every year after year after year after year, and that's the only year we got it. Mm. Wow. So they they took that bonus away, mm-hmm. even though it was supposed to be that that was supposed to be permanent. That was supposed to be a standing thing. Right. Right. But then, like, fast forward another, what, year or two years, like, after Jordan Alinsky joined the committee, um, basically there's some regrouping, reorganizing among the committee that was uh, much needed, just, you know, getting getting our stuff in line. Uh, but then the, the union actually did a sick out in response to COVID and ended up winning another pay increase. Right. 
Right. And and that amounted to a, what is they're still calling it um, like emergency dollar an hour pay. But that just keeps getting extended, extended, extended. Uh, it was a $2 emergency pay increase for, I think it was like three or four months. Uh, we do still get sick pay if we have uh, legitimate COVID symptoms or we claim those. Uh, they suspended attendance points for, I want to say it was like four months. Um, and was 47 people that we got to participate in Nat. Um, this was totally epic. In the I sick went out. in the sick out for the sick out. Yeah. And that was, we did it specifically. I, it, it, the sick out was Jordan Olinsky's idea. Um, it was my idea to have it the day after, uh, St. Patrick's because we're in Wisconsin. It's a heavy drinking holiday. And mm. we knew that people would just be calling out regardless. Right. right. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that. So Strategy. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, <clears throat> we, um, oh, sorry about the dog. Oh, no. So, yeah, we got all these people to sick out. And then I went in the day after and I'm at the time clock. Nobody, none of the bosses, the supervisors know that I'm standing there and they're all talking about how horrible it was and how if they pull anything like that again, they're all going to get fired. And then they turned around. One of them turned around and saw me standing there. And so suddenly it turned out to be a. Uh, a conversation about uh, fantasy football. Uh. <laughs> They're going to fire everybody from their fantasy football team because of mm-hmm. what the Capital Union did on the day after St. Patrick's. I mean, just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's <laughs> that's awesome. That is really, really great. <laughs> and so how have your coworkers reacted to this because you know um my understanding there and and it sounds like uh that's been it you know implied in the conversation so far is that this uh you know there's not a majority of the workers there are not union members uh you know you haven't requested an election through the nlrb so how does you know uh, how does the rest of the workforce kind of react to uh, to your presence and to the actions that you take on you know behalf of yourselves, but also on their behalf as well? I have had so many people thank me. Even people that don't like me benefit from mm-hmm. what the union has done. You know, um, it's it's across the board. Heck let's be honest about this even the supervisors or 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 management benefits from a happier healthier uh more dignified workplace everybody benefits whether whether they want to admit it or not um it is definitely not uncommon or at least when i was still i'm working remotely from home now but when i was working at the office at least two or three times a week, I would have somebody stop me in the hallway and tell me I'm having this problem, that problem. I think I just saw a member of management stealing a concession from our lunch 
room, refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, I, mad respect, mad yeah. respect. And so, uh, what do you think it is that kind of uh, keeps them from joining the union? Is it just fear, or maybe apathy, or, or you know, what do you think? What do you think is keeping them? Uh, I do know that a lot of the reticence is retaliation, which mm-hmm. they've never retaliated against. Okay, they did retaliate against the Madison people, um, but they've never retaliated really against any of us, with the possible exception of something that I'm dealing with right now. Uh, and that was somebody being turned uh, down for a promotion. Mm. Um but they've never retaliated against any of the just captioning assistant union members. Um, some of it is like time. Some of it is, you know, do people don't want to be committed to solving their problems. I think a lot of people prefer to have something to bitch about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you know. I, I don't know. I'm not one of those people. I want to be happy and mm-hmm. I'm willing to put the work into being happy, but not everybody wants to be happy. And you sort of got to like deal with that. Right, right, right. And so the, um, what is, you know, the, uh, you mentioned that, you know, these victories have come, you know, in the midst or the victories that y'all have had in the midst of the pandemic. And obviously it's still, uh, it's still going on. And, uh, in some respects it's almost as bad as it ever was. And so what it, uh, you know, what is the, the union doing now to, to continue and make sure it sustains its organizing efforts and, um, you know, uh, uh, and, organizing in a work from home environment uh i have been working from home a lot over the past year and a half and i know that it's been you know it's difficult to keep up those relationships when you are all atomized in your individual home so you know how are y'all handling those two things Uh, i'm gonna be honest like we're we're still figuring that out Mm -hmm. i think most people are it's I was hoping you had the answer <laughs> that I could take yeah, back to work. We're, we're still trying to, you know, it's, it's like technically like, yeah, even, you know, after the pandemic and the last victory uh, at this point, like two April's ago, was it April or March? Um, yeah. Like since then, you know, when a lot of people were working from home, it's just been harder to like, get people to follow up because you're not seeing them face to face like hey follow up or come to this meeting where yeah there's still plenty of people in there who are paying their union dues and you know like we definitely still have a good handful of people who are like still paying their union dues and part of the IWW but it's been more difficult (laughs) get them to like take on organizing tasks or come to a committee meeting and things like that. So it's like, yeah, we, we definitely still have a union presence there. Mm-hmm. It's just, in my opinion, pretty scattered. And me and Tamara have kind of been <laughs> trying to <laughs> uh, like getting reorganized. Yeah, it's, it, it is, uh, 
I, I mean, working from home really does present a lot of difficulties. Um, and for for my job, I am in constant contact with a lot of people in my workplace and, and kind of on the same, you know, uh, th- that would be in my bargaining unit. So that is, you know, that is one way that I'm able to kind of get around that to the extent that I that I do. But I would imagine that y'all don't have the opportunity like it, you don't just happen to be on the phone with somebody or. You know, it's a pretty kind of yeah. everybody has has their tasks when they go to work, and there's not a whole lot of you know um, uh, cooperation that's necessary for the thing to get done. Uh, yeah, yeah sure. even when even when we were in the office, uh, the job itself is incredibly isolating. Unless mm-hmm. uh, you see somebody in the break room or outside having a cigarette or in the elevator you hardly have any contact with your coworkers. And so organizing there under those circumstances has always been kind of a challenge just because of that. Um, But yeah, you know, you hardly even know your coworkers at, Mm -hmm. at cap bell under the most social of circumstances. And so reaching out that way has been kind of a, it's been problematic. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Because, like, one one thing we did real quick was, like, we had a, a publication. So uh, CapTel's official newsletter is called the CapTel Connect. So the union's official publication is called the CapTel Disconnect. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, it was just, like, a, a periodical where we would, like, get people to submit essays or poems or whatever. You know, the slogans, it's a voice for the CAs. Mm-hmm. And so that was means official publication to basically communicate what we were doing, but also uses like an agitational tool as well as to be like, no, we're definitely a real union. Like here's our publication. We are like serious committed about this. Uh, and since the pandemic, so like, you can't really just like go around passing out literature to strangers or like, mm-hmm. you know, leave the you know break room or call center library. Uh, right. Cause just like not, you know, not, not good health protocol. To just be have strangers or whoever passing around pamphlets, right? I think that's really cool, though, the fact that y'all you know have been putting something out like that, and you know I'm hopeful that maybe you know we we're all in learning mode right now and figuring out how do we operate inside of these conditions now, and you know maybe technology could be a a positive way you know to to get that information out. Um, it's definitely forcing all of us, I think, to try to think outside the box and figure out how do we maintain those relationships and, you know, expand our message without really mm-hmm. having those, you know, traditional break room conversations and those sort of things that we think about in labor organizing. You know, I'll be honest with you, though, even regardless of the, the challenges that Capital uh, presents from an organizer perspective, uh, the HR lady herself once told me that the union is the only source of like social, like happiness and community that mm. Capital even has. <laughs> that's pretty, I mean, that's a pretty searing indictment of the company and a pretty glowing review of the union. I would yeah, say that, absolutely. That, that the HR person is saying that. 
you know how unions and HR are. <laughs> so <laughs> typically a pretty nasty relationship. So that's good. Yeah. Um. I th- yeah, I think that's a testament to what y'all are, are, are achieving there. So that's yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, I uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, and I wish y'all the best of luck in uh, figuring out how best to adapt to a more work at home environment. I guess the last thing that I want to ask is. Um, you know what would you uh what would be kind of your pitch to uh people that that are are considering uh joining a union or joining the IWW or organizing in their workplace you know things like that like uh you know if, if somebody asked you like is this something that I should do why should I do it what would your response be tomorrow you want the goods this is how you get them we have a proven track record. Uh, I hate to get all Old Testament on you, but, um, you know, Moses is the first workplace organizer. And I'll tell you what, you know, you either join the team or you may or may not benefit, but, you know, it's no sense being a Benedict. Uh, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody deserves, everybody deserves a, uh, living wage and dignity and uh, the ability to take care of themselves and the company it's clear cut and dry. The company is not going to do that without pressure. So we're stronger together than, than we are just as one squeaky wheel. Amen, sister. And yeah, I would say just, uh, yeah, I mean, I I encourage anyone to organize their own workplace. The IWW is good for that because we have the tools and the resources and support for people trying to do that. Uh, can't recommend enough. Got to recommend people take the organizer training 101. Uh, that is, like, if, if you're going to be serious about organizing, take that training offered by the IWW. So good so needed i took it and it helped my organizing quite a bit and i realized all the things i was doing wrong before i took that (laughs) all right well andrew tomorrow thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it yeah nice talking to y'all have a good one all right thank you so much thank you thanks